Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start with some good news. No, let me start with some great news. No, let me start with the best news. The Detroit Lions. The Detroit freaking Lions. Zero wins in their first 11 games. Sprinting towards history and becoming the first 0-16-1 team ever. A team that was coming up with new and exciting ways to not win and choke every single week. And they were at it again yesterday. But somehow, someway, after blowing a two-touchdown lead, they actually had a look late. Final play of the game from the Vikings 11 Roll the hell out of this, Alvy. And here it is with four seconds to go in the game. 27-23 Vikings. Jared Goff, three receivers left, one right. He goes out of the shotgun. He takes the snap from Evan Brown. He's going to fire to the end zone. It's caught. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. And these cardiac kitties have beaten the Minnesota Vikings and won a game for the first time in 364 days. Lions win. The Lions win. It's over. They won a game. Save your jokes about the D. And I don't need to hear from Gino in San Antonio today either. All that matters is the Lions won. Time to get your grub on. Time to slam some kneecaps. I don't care that they blew a two-touchdown halftime lead. I don't care about that truly weird fourth-down call from their own 28 that practically handed the Vikings a TD. I don't care about any of that because the Lions just won a game. The Detroit Lions just won a football game. And this is a team and a city that has taken more than its share of body blows. Remember, Dan Campbell said it best when he showed up for the first time earlier this year. We're going to kick you in the teeth, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you, and when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right? And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Damn straight. And they were taking hunks out of the Vikes yesterday. And if I were there with you, Detroit, right now, I'd be going cannibal as well and munching as many kneecaps as I could. That's got to feel pretty damn good. That's got to feel pretty damn good because that's pretty damn awesome. Pretty awesome for you and pretty horrible for the Vikes. Just like nobody wanted to be the first team to lose to Pervin Liar. Urban Meyer. That's devastating. You don't want to be the first team to lose to the Lions. And Minnesota did just that. I can't imagine that Mike Zimmer's all that pumped right about now. Just like I can't imagine that not sticking to Zimmer. Just like I can't imagine Zim's seat being any hotter than it is right now. Because that guy and that team cannot lose that game. And they just did. Oh, and speaking of perv, liar... How was that night out in Hollywood, buddy? Buddy. Although I have not seen any reports to suggest that you abandoned your team once again and sent them back to Jayville without you because you needed to get out of Dodge and Buddy needed a night out. Although I've seen no reports to suggest that, I'm just going to assume that that's what happened. Allegedly. Just as I'm going to assume that no one in Hollywood knew you 
or cared about you when you went rolling through in your Ohio State pullover. Anyway, I am here to keep it positive. I'm here to stick to the good news because that's who I am and that's what I do. So let me hit you with some good news. Let me hit you with a question. In fact, does it get any better than Kevin Harlan calling a fake punt for a TD? Let me answer that right away. No. Third and long is what's played this team, but here we have a fake. It is a fake indeed, and this is Travis Homer, who got a block, takes it the other way, and this will be six. Can you believe it? 73 yards. Got to say, that was a great call by Peter. Great call by Pete Carroll, and even better call by Kevin Harlan. And Peter knew he was going to need to get into his bag all day long because his offense has been garbage. Garbage. It's been garbage for a while now. Garbage. And because it looked like Seattle tight end Gerald Everett was this double agent because he kept doing everything he could to keep the Niners in that game. He had not one, not two, but three turnovers yesterday, including this gem. San Francisco, third and four. Wilson trying to exploit. Go! Oh, dropped! Intercepted! K1 Williams got it on the ricochet! Oh, what a turn of events! Everett had it in a ricocheted up and on the deflection. It was reeled in by K1 Williams. Daryl Everett, as, a, as we used to wow. say, one catch per ball. He tried to get two, three, kicked it. Great job by K1 Williams snagging that one. Hands, yo. By both sides, to quote the immortal Brian Wilson. Man, let's get weird. You can throw that weird. pass to that guy a thousand times, and that's the only time that that results in an interception, especially an interception like that. I mean, that was weird. Really okay, weird. weird. So there's weird, and then there's dumb, which is exactly what Tom Brady was at the end of that first half against the Falcons. Look, I know Tampa Bay won. I know Brady is still in the driver's seat for the MVP, but man, that play at the end of that half was one of the most brain-dead moments I've seen from him since he forgot what down it was. Tampa Bay up 2010. They've got the ball inside their own 10-yard line. Less than 30 seconds to go. They come out throwing, and TB44 throws this Dumbass pass. So here's Brady, three steps, going to loop it to Fournette. It's intercepted. Touchdown, Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. Holy smokes, Marlon Davidson has a pick six off Tom Brady. I mean, really, Archer? You just called it. My goodness. This is a play where Marlon Davidson read it all the way. You think the big fella's rushing the passer. But he read screen and just flows with the back Fournette out of the right side of the backfield for the for the Falcons oh. and just one hand stabs it and walks into the end zone. I mean, seriously, think of some of the worst quarterbacks you've ever seen in your life. They don't make a play that dumb. Yet that's the best quarterback that anybody's ever seen in their life, and he, in fact, did. Remember when Bruce Arians said that he had a, quote, very dumb football team? Well, on that play, he had a very dumb quarterback. I know he's having a hell of a year. I know he's the greatest quarterback of all time, which is all the more reason that that play was so unbelievably stupid. Like everything about it, soup to nuts, from not taking a knee to calling a pass to then throwing that gift-wrapped pick six. That really was a brain-dead move. Then again, the only thing more brain-dead would be running that play 
and then saying that Brady is getting old or losing it or some junk like that. He's not. I mean, the guy still is Tom Brady. He still is Tom Brady, even if he was Matt Schaub on that play. You never get. This is stupid. You never see a play like that from Brady, but at least there are, there are some constants in the world. You know, in a world that is so upside down and topsy-turvy, don't you want something reliable, something consistent, something you know you can count on? Well, we have that. And that is the New York Giants being garbage. They fired their offensive coordinator. Then they go out and they score nine points yesterday. Nine points. Zero TDs in their 20-9 loss to the Dolphins. Daniel Jones was out with a neck injury, so they went with Mike Glennon. And all you losers who could not wait to make jokes about that and about Glennon's alleged family. Yeah, well, how do you feel now that Glennon suffered a concussion? How do you feel about that? Actually, you know what? Don't answer. I know how you feel about that. I know you don't give a damn. I know what you're going to say, which is why I have to say, if any of you losers want to make jokes about necks and heads right now, how about you shut your face instead? Because the guy did suffer a concussion. I don't need to hear about the fact that that concussion was caused by altitude because his head is up so high because of the length of his neck. So therefore, it wasn't a hit. It was the altitude that put him in protocol. That is not possible, and that's not the case at all. And nobody should be joking about altitude-induced concussions. That was a disaster of a game for a disaster of a team in the middle of a disaster of a season. But you know who liked what he saw? Joe Judge. Because of course he did. I'm telling you, man, this dude... This dude, Judge, he watched his team grind their way to 250 total yards and not score a TD. And yet afterwards, still had the audacity to say that he was, quote, encouraged by what he saw. Quote, I saw a lot of players make a lot of big plays. I saw a lot of players make a lot of big plays. Dude, you had two plays of 20 yards or more. And zero touchdowns. That means there were zero players making zero big plays. The hell are you talking about this time, Joe? But he's not coming off that point. And he's still talking out his ass. There's a lot of things that I saw today in the way we played. A lot of things that are moving in the right direction. A lot of things I'm very pleased with in terms of how we competed. My guy, absolutely nothing is moving in the right direction. In the third quarter, for instance, your offense had a sequence that went like this. 13-yard sack. Timeout to avoid delay of game. 7-yard sack. Delay of game penalty. Running play on third and 33. Like, you hear this guy vomiting nonsense like that. And you know, he really does believe he's Bill Belichick. When his team's out here playing like he's Ray Hanley. Because if that's moving in the right direction, I would hate to hell to see what moving in the wrong direction is. And again, the wrong direction might be the New York Jets. I need time to develop that thought. I mean, is it time? Aren't I due for another appearance on the NFL Today on CBS? Is it not time for me to do yet another state of New York football on that show?
Let me tell you about an amazing product. You know, you can access content from over 59 different countries by changing your virtual location with a single click. With NordVPN, you could be anywhere in the world virtually and access content from those regions. If you're outside the U.S., you still have access to all U.S. streaming services. You will never miss your favorite show ever again, and it's super easy to use. Now, you might hear people say that VPNs have a rep for slowing down your internet speed. Not with NordVPN because it is the fastest VPN in the world. Plus, you don't have to sacrifice internet speed for better security. With NordVPN, internet traffic is routed through a secure encrypted tunnel, which protects your data and your privacy. With NordVPN, internet traffic is routed through a secure encrypted tunnel, which protects your data and your privacy. You can also have NordVPN on up to six devices, so all of your devices are protected. You can also have NordVPN on up to six devices, so all your devices are protected. Go to nordvpn.com slash Rome or use the code Rome, exclusive podcast code, and get up to 73% off NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. Be quick because this offer is limited. That's nordvpn.com slash Rome or use the code. NordVPN.com slash Rome. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln, great to have you on the program. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you, Lincoln. Listen, I'm curious. You were introduced as head coach a week ago. What have the last seven days been like for you and your family? <laughs> a little a little crazy, uh, but but a lot of fun. It's uh no, it's been it's been great uh, being out here in Southern California and, and and I think of so many things about it. I the one just the the hunger uh, of people around this program, the excitement of everybody to to get USC football back to to relevance on the national stage, and and uh, you can you can just feel that you can feel it around town, you can feel it around campus uh, within the program. There's just a, a ton of excitement and anticipation. So um, it's been great and it's fun, uh, kind of getting started, putting together the staff, and uh, yeah, we're we're happy to be Trojans. The USC head football coach Lincoln Riley joining us. You know, I'm curious, Lincoln, were you looking for another opportunity, or did you not even know it until it was right there in front of you? Uh, definitely be there. Uh, I definitely was not looking for another opportunity. We had, uh, um, you know, had a, had a great situation with a lot of great people at Oklahoma, but this, uh, the situation came up, uh, there after our last game and, and, um, you know, just kind of presented itself. And the more, you know, me and my wife, my family thought about this, we, we, it just became more clear to us that this was a challenge that we, we were ready to, ready to take on and a, and a place that, that we ultimately wanted to be. And uh, it wasn't an easy decision because of, uh, again, how how great Oklahoma was to us, and and what a what a you know just what a great run that we all had there, and a lot of great memories made. But it was time for a new challenge, and then this just kind of spoke to us, and this was the right one, and, and just kind of the right place and right time. Lincoln Riley is joining us, you know, in a way you kind of mentioned what I was going to ask you about next when you said that it's a new challenge, and it spoke to you as you looked at this opportunity, Lincoln. What was it about the job that appealed to you the most? Uh, Jim, so many things. Uh, you know, one a, a chance to to come here to one of the greatest college football programs of all time, um, and you know it's in a unique place, kind of in its history right now, uh, where you know it's time to it's time to get it back, and it's time to 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 get USC back to to what college football fans across the country know and expect, and and uh, 
yeah, I think the combination of the opportunities out here, uh, the the chance to, to live in a new place, new experiences, um, to a chance to coach at one of the top institutions in the country, you know, even past the football program was very appealing to us. And and then again, you you see, I think I think everybody knows about the potential, but then you see the investment level right now and people, the people here, the administration, everybody that supports USC football, they are. They're ready to invest. They're ready to do things that you have to do to be an elite college football program. And you love having that combination of of the, the possibilities, um, the potential with the investment level. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was just too much for us to get past. USC head football coach Lincoln Riley joining us. You know, Lincoln, when you talk about the potential, obviously part of that is the kind of talent you have in your own backyard. You've had a lot of success already recruiting Southern California. So how much of this decision to take this on, this challenge, was about having SoCal as your backyard from a recruiting standpoint? It was a huge part of it, uh, no question. It's uh it's one of the great places for for high school football and high school high school uh, talent in the country. Um, like you said, we've been able to recruit out here for for many years and you know felt comfortable with the people and the kind of players and um, and so that that was certainly a factor. And I mean, I feel like this is a place that that you can build one of the elite rosters, if not the most elite roster in the country. I feel like that that absolutely can be done at USC. Now it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of work. Uh, there, there's no question about it. There's a lot of things that. That, that have to change, and uh, but with the staff we have coming in, with the new players that, that, that will be coming in, with the, the chance to work with our current team, uh, we absolutely believe we can and will do it. You know, Lincoln, to a point that a lot of things have to change, USC has gone through a number of head coaches and a number of tough years since Pete Carroll left. What's your sense of that? Like, what does need to be changed? Oh, uh, You know, it's a long list. It is, and I think that's, you know, one of the great things of being able to bring so many people um, off our staff at the, at the previous institution uh, because we, you know, uh, we, we pride ourselves on, on the culture uh, of the program that we run. And uh, again, as we as we looked at USC, kind of its current state, and then looked towards the future, we felt like that this would be a great matchup. You know, that this offered us the potential and excitement uh, to do something very special. And then I think. You know what USC needs is is something that we have a lot of belief and confidence in in terms of our program and our approach. So uh, I think the first thing here will be, you know, a team first culture and a team first attitude, and and we've got to have the attitude of a blue collar program. I mean that's that's the way we've always run it, and uh, we we have to have that attitude and edge about us with the way we work and the way we take the field. And so can't wait to to get that in, in, kind of instilled in our in our people here, and uh, you can tell they're hungry for it. I mean they. Everybody around this program has, has an excitement level to do what they have to do to get this thing back. USC head football coach Lincoln Riley joining us this morning. You know, you mentioned what it's going to be like on the field and the fact that you got some of your staff coming with you. As an example, your D coordinator, Alex Grinch, obviously is familiar with the Pac-12 from his time with Washington State. So, Lincoln, overall, what will this team look like on the field? For instance, how similar will it look to what you did and what you were at Oklahoma? Oh, there'll certainly be some similarities. I mean, there's... Uh, as you mentioned, bringing Coach Grinch and, and a number of our defensive staff members uh, along was a was a key point of this. And he's he's uh, you know the turnaround defensively at Oklahoma that, that he was a major factor in was was uh, you know really historic and and uh, was was so impressive because it happened so quickly and, and at such a high level. And so have a ton of belief in him. We've worked very well together here for a number of years, and I, I don't think there's a better defensive coordinator out here. And he's the right guy for USC right now. Um, so. Um, and then offensively, obviously, we have a, a ton of belief in, in 
and and what we've done, uh, and, and excited to to evolve, excited to to fit it to the skill set that that we'll have here uh, at USC, and continue to be very multiple and try to attack people like we always have. Spending a few more moments with the new head coach at USC, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln, what's your reaction when you hear the question or the suggestion that you left Oklahoma because you did not want to go to the SEC? <laughs> uh, the, those people that know me know um, I've never. I've never backed away from a challenge. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the comfortable, the comfortable thing here would have been, you know, you, you've been at Oklahoma for a long time. You guys have had a good run of success. It's a great place, which it is. The comfortable thing would have been to stay. I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, it, it um, we know we walked away from a tremendous situation with a lot of great people, um, but this was the, this was a new challenge and this is where we wanted to be. So I, I, that, that had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, this was about, the, the opportunity that presented itself that was just so good for my family, um, uh, so many of our staff members, um, and, and I think kind of for our careers and, and our lives looking forward that it was it was the right thing for us. Lincoln Riley, my guest. Lincoln, you made it pretty clear that the time that you spent there meant so much to you. You love the people there. You love the opportunity that you had there. So I'm kind of curious. Like, I know you're locked in on what you're doing right now, but can I get your reaction to Oklahoma hiring Brent Venables? What do you make of that? No, I think it's awesome. I, I've known Brent for a long time. He's a good friend, um, and uh, no, I just to, to see him get that opportunity. I know he's been, you know, waiting for for the right opportunity for a long time, and uh, he certainly earned it. And I'm, I, I know he'll do a great job. We got a chance to visit a little bit, which was which was great um, uh, before he before he accepted the job. And and uh, so now I'm really happy for him and his family. Know him well, and, and uh, he'll do a great job there. And they, they, they couldn't have found a better choice. All right, so final question for you. Do you feel like success at USC is a sure thing in your mind, or is there an element of risk involved here? Um, I mean, it's college football. You know, I mean, there there's uh, – I don't take anything for, for granted. Um, but I feel like if we do it right here uh, with the support that we have, with the opportunities that we have, that the success will follow. I do. USC has got a brand new head football coach. He's been there about a week now. Lincoln Riley makes the move out here to Southern California. Lincoln, good to have you in town. Appreciate it very much. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. I hope we can do it again really soon. Sounds good, my friend. Thanks, Jim. So no matter what, I try to get a workout in essentially every single day. However, my workouts just got much better because I found better workout gear. I found better workout products. I found 10,000. 10,000 makes the highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable training shorts that I've ever worn. Lately, I've been wearing their 7-inch interval short with the liner and their versatile shirt both. The interval short is the most popular and most versatile style. It's perfect for gym days, spinning, short runs, hit, and backyard workouts. Meanwhile, the versatile shirt is the perfect, perfect workout shirt. Lightweight, breathable, and durable. And then on top of that, in addition to the interval short, they make gear specific to other types of training, from running to Olympic lifting to boxing, so you can find a short for all the different ways you train. A team of over 200 athletes test their gear to ensure the perfect design, fabric, trims, and fit. So you can pick the short that is best for your training and then personalize it with custom liner and inseam options. Plus, they have over 10,000, 10,000 five-star reviews and free shipping and free returns plus a lifetime guarantee. 
I'm telling you, it's an amazing product. And right now, 10,000 is offering our listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to 10,000.cc, enter the code Rome, and get 15% off your purchase. Once again, 10,000.cc, and enter the code Rome. I love the product. I wear the product, and you will too. 10,000.cc, code name Rome. Nick Saban. And three other random teams. That's it. That's your playoff. Every year. Every year. Nick Saban is bleeping inevitable. Inevitable. It's a fact. College football does not have a playoff. It has the Nick Saban Invitational. Every week there's that stupid show where they run down the playoff rankings and none of it matters. Because when it comes down to it, the playoffs are always Nick Saban and three other teams that Saban decides to invite. It doesn't matter what you think about Saban. It doesn't even matter how Alabama plays during the regular season. Nick Saban and Alabama will be in the Nick Saban Invitational every January. This was supposed to be the year they got left out. This was supposed to be the year that they were going to not get it done. They lost Mac Jones. They lost Devontae Smith. They lost Jalen Waddell. They lost Patrick Sertan. They lost Alex Leatherwood. They lost Najee Harris. They had eight players go in the first 38 picks. I mean, how insane is that? They had eight guys go in the first 38 picks. It's unreal. It's a joke. One thing to have all of that happen, but if it does, there's no way you field a team the next year much less the team, except not with Saban. Even Alabama struggled at points this season. That season opening win over Miami does not look so good anymore. Same with that close win over Florida. Both those teams were not nearly as good as anybody thought they were. Both those teams fired their head coaches. And by the way, it's not like Alabama looked all that great down the stretch either. They did not look like a team that was peaking at the right time. In fact, far from it. They look more like a team that was just looking for a way out. That was looking for somebody to come in and just end their season. They barely beat Arkansas. They needed an Auburn choke to get past the Tigers. If Auburn stays inbounds late regulation, that game is over, and so is Alabama's season. But that's not what transpired. Because that's not whatever happens with Nick Saban. Like, burying Nick Saban is sort of like burying his old guy, Bill Belichick. Just when you start to do that, they jump up out of the ground, they rip that shovel out of your hand, and they smack you in the face with it. And that's exactly what he did to his former assistant, Kirby Smart. Again, he ripped the shovel out of Kirby's hands and went upside his head with it. Then left a rake out. So Kirby could step on the rake and get cracked in the face when it popped up. I mean, what's funnier and more humiliating than a dude stepping on a rake? Even better when it's in the SEC title game against your former boss when the entire world is watching and saying it's your time. How do you miss that rake? It's right there in front of you. Especially when everybody's slobbering all over themselves about that Georgia defense all season long. Remember? Remember how good that crew was. Not just good, but great. And not just great, but historically great. 
Remember that conversation. Alabama 41, Georgia 24. And like the old saying goes, it wasn't even that close. Bama was up by 21 early in the fourth quarter. That Georgia defense, which gave up less than seven points per game this year, Alabama put 34 on them and could have gone for more. Georgia had not allowed a team more than 17 points all year long, and Alabama had 24 in the second quarter alone. I mean, stop me if you want. Georgia allowed a total of 29 first-half points the entire season. 29 first-half points the whole year, and Bama nearly had that one quarter. They were absolutely carving the Bulldogs. None of it's feeling too good for number four. Here comes the blitz. Down the middle and on the fly. Jamison Williams, extra speed on the gas and gone. Touchdown. Just like that. Alabama with the answer. This has got to be a busted coverage. No way. First of all, Brian Robinson takes on the blitz and allows the throw. But watch this lack of coverage in the middle of the field by Georgia. What's going on here? There is a phrase to describe a situation like that. That phrase, wide ass open. When he caught it. And wide open when he started to run. And wide open when he came across the field and went all the way to the house. Nick Saban did not just beat Georgia to win the SEC title and clinch a spot in the Nick Saban Invitational. He destroyed them. You think that 41-24 to hospital job might stick to Georgia? You think that it's not in Kirby Smart's head that he's now 0-4 against his boss? That was supposed to be Georgia's best chance to get over, and instead they got a 2-by-4 to their face. Yeah, try getting over that. Georgia is still in the playoff, but they're going to need a hell of a lot of glue and patience to put themselves back together after that curb stomping. And you know Nick knows that. And you know Nick is feeling pretty damn good about that. No wonder Nick was sitting up there after that game talking about, quote, yummy rat poison. You guys gave us a lot of really positive rat poison. The rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy. (laughs) My dude's got jokes. My dude is downright giddy. Giddy. The guy who normally goes out of his way to be a jerk to the media. Not Saturday night. He's one of the boys, man. Saturday night, he's talking about his favorite topic. Rat poison. And not, quote, fatal rat poison, but, quote, yummy rat poison. Yummy. Like, my dude is just spreading that yummy rat poison over his beloved Debbie cakes. Yummy. And smashed them by the handful. Mm. My man's just stacking the cakes. He's not limiting himself to his normal ration of two. My man has got, like, a pyramid of Debbie cakes with yummy rat poison spread over them. My man was feeling pretty damn good about himself. And you know what? He should. He should. Because almost no one saw that beatdown coming. And he shut a hell of a lot of people up, including the entire state of Georgia, with that mug job.
So now it'd be a hell of a time for Curb Dog to prove that he really is the smartest guy in the room. Because the only thing worse than that ass kicking that Nicholas just dropped on him would be his guys laying down against Michigan, another team he is supposed to smack. No offense, Curb Dog. But I got a hard time taking you over the Nick Tater. Like, I want to, but I can't. And frankly, you know Harbs would much rather face you than have to deal with Nicholas himself. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy. (laughs) Man's got jokes. But then again, that game was a joke. I could see where he was so gibby. About time he enjoyed something. Good on you, Nick. Hey, Curb Dog. Man, you best stop that bleeding, my man. Yummy. Man, you best stop that bleeding, my man. I'd get a tourniquet. You do not want to lose to Michigan. You're a big favorite in that game, too. The Nick Saban Invitational. Why do we sweat this thing? Every year, man, it doesn't even matter how they're playing, how they look, who they lose. Same old, same old. 1-800-636-8686. I'm going to tip my hat to Nicholas and his yummy rat poison. Yummy. Some of you are running with that. Like the Metzer at the Metzer says, um, Saban literally put himself in the family. It's officially back, Jimmo. I can't believe this is happening. It's not happening. It doesn't make any sense. He didn't mention the family. He didn't say that old Curb Dog looked like Curb the Rat. He said that there's rat poison. He's frequently referencing the rat poison that the media spreads out there. Rat poison. He said normally... It was yummy. It's... Did he say vital or lethal? What was the word he used? Rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal. Oh, fatal. My bad. Fatal. But now it's yummy. It's yummy. So no, he... Fatal. You're all running with that. It's yummy. Zach Matlock, quote, Radio Man, Sabin brought back the rat poison. How about you bring back the rat family? Sincerely, Coach K, War Cheese. Fatal. In 1996 called, they want their show back. We're not bringing the rat family back. I don't know how many different ways I can say this. Fatal. I don't know how many times I can apologize for it. I don't know how many times I can own it. It's yummy. I I don't want to qualify it or make an excuse for it, but it was just a different time. There was a time when that was funny. There was a time when it was fun to identify humans that look like rats and put them in a family and introduce them to their rat brethren. That time is long gone. Stop living in the past, man. We can't go back. We can't go back. Fatal. I've said this a million times. We cannot go back. Not to Gaetti, not to Pavin, not to Zane Smith. We cannot go back. Not to Fittipaldi, not to Monica Selish, not to some of these other rats who become my good friends. We cannot go back. Trade pros, whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job. 
which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. Marcus Freeman. Marcus, it is great to have you on the show this morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for having me. It is really good to have you, Marcus. I'm kind of curious, given the last week, you were still the D coordinator, and since then, so much has happened. Is there any way to describe or put into words what the last few days have been like for you and your family? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind, man. It, from Monday, getting a call from Coach Kelly to say that um, he was going to go to LSU, and um, I was thinking I was going to go to LSU to be the defensive coordinator, and I kind of just said, hey, hold on, Coach, I just want to talk to my wife. And then from that moment, really, it's all been just a, a whirlwind in terms of to this moment now being the head coach at Notre Dame. So, Marcus, when you got that call from Brian Kelly, what was your reaction? Did you Was that on your radar? And what did you think when he told you he was leaving? Well, I was completely shocked. You know, there was something. I remember people asking me, like, hey, do you really think Coach Kelly would go to LSU? I said, there's no way. There's no way. And when he called me and, and told me that he was going, um, you know, again, I was in shock. Um, but – I needed a job, so when he said, hey, I need you, I want you to come down and be my deepest coordinator, I really had no other option other than talk to my wife. Uh, dude, I have much respect for that response. I really do. And the fact that guys are not going to follow him there speaks very largely to their love of the program. And you, as an example, that video of Matt Bayless introducing you to the players as the new head coach, I thought was really awesome. It looked like there was so much juice and so much energy in that room. I've got to know, what were you feeling as you were standing on the other side of that door right before you went through to greet your players as the head coach for the first time? Well, it had been about 24 hours um, since I knew I was going to be the head coach. And that seemed like eternity because I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't be around my guys. And, and all I wanted to do was go hug them. Like, I wasn't thinking about giving them a speech. I wasn't thinking about giving them demands. I just wanted to be around them and physically touch them. And, and that's what that moment was all about. It was, uh, you know, the dream come true. You know, to be named the head coach of the University of Notre Dame is a dream come true. And I wanted to embrace that and, and spend time with my players during that moment. Notre Dame head football coach Marcus Freeman is my guest. I'm curious, like you said, I didn't want to hit them with this big speech. I just kind of wanted to be with the guys. I wanted to kind of love on the guys a little bit. Part of your initial message was what they had done, what the players had done over the past week. You've been around these guys now since January. Did you learn anything new about them or what did they show you over that past week? Because it was a really challenging week. Well, I think the, the one thing that makes the Notre Dame football player unique is they're exceptional thinkers, you know, and they think outside the box and they're, they strain in everything they do. And, and you know, the one thing we embrace on defense and we're going to embrace as a, a entire football team is that we challenge everything. You know, we, we find a way to – a better way. We find a better way to do everything. And that's what they did. They said, you know what, we're not just going to go with normalcy. You know, it's normal. It's normalcy to just hey, just go find the hottest head coach, and you know we're going to fight for a guy we believe in. And so that was the start of it. And then you had to have a an athletic director and a president that were willing to do the same thing. And that's what you're seeing is the trickle effect of, of multiple people saying, you know what, we're not going to do what's norm. We're going to take a chance and. Uh, I'm about to work tirelessly to make sure this was the right decision. Marcus Freeman joining us. I was going to ask you about that because I've heard you talk about that, that that sense of a challenge, everything mentality. You touched on that, but can you kind of elaborate on that? What does that mean exactly, and how does that show up on a day-to-day basis? 
Well, I think so. My, my father was in the Air Force for 26 years, and I grew up under a disciplined household that just said when, when he said do something, he said yes, sir. You know, and I think that is slowly changing, and, and we're embracing that as a, as a culture. And that, you know, it is no longer just blind faith. There's no longer just yes and no. It's, it's tell me why. And that's, we don't always have to agree, but you have to know why. And that's what the challenge everything mentality is. Talking to Marcus Freeman now, Notre Dame head football coach. Something else you've said, one of the conversations you've had with recruits, and it's about the similarities between Notre Dame and Jay-Z in terms of impact and generational success. Like, what is that big-picture mindset that you're trying to get across? Well, it's about understanding that this life is so much longer than the now. And, you know, when you make a decision to go to a college, you have to think about what your life is going to be like the minute you're done playing and I wasn't mature enough to do that at a young age when all I worried about was national championship. You know, I want to go somewhere I can win a national championship. And, and if you want to talk about that as a young recruit, let's talk about Notre Dame. You know, we've been in the playoffs two out of the past three years, but I want them to be able to see the moment they're done playing. I want them to be able to visualize, Hey, you're the game is over. Notre Dame is going to take care of you for the rest of your life. And that's where I use the comparison to Jay-Z and saying at some point, I think Jay-Z knew that, you know, he's not going to be a young rapper. And, you know, he obviously made decisions to make sure that he set himself and his family up for the rest of his life. And so that's, to me, what you have to do when you're at Notre Dame. I think there's a misconception about what this place is. No, this place is as sexy as anywhere else in that we can make sure that you're set for the rest of your life. So, Marcus, what is the misconception? What are people missing about Notre Dame? Or what do they think about Notre Dame that's not the case? I think it's just, you know, sometimes maybe it's just old, traditional, and boring. You know, but when you're here, you realize how special this place is. And, and the reason why it's special, it starts with the people. The people that are currently here, the people that you're around, they change you if you let them. If you give Notre Dame your heart, it changes you. And then it's the people that go through here that are all over the world, the network um, of, of people that they find a way to get it done. No matter what, if there's an issue, if there's something you need, the network of Notre Dame has a solution. And so that's what I talk about when I talk about what is so unique about this place. It's the network, it's the people, and it's the things that you experience when you're here on campus. Marcus Freeman's new head football coach at Notre Dame. I want to make the point again, and I think that football fans obviously know this, but the fact of the matter is you played at Ohio State. You coached at Ohio State. You came to Notre Dame from Cincinnati back in January, and you could have gone to LSU, and I know that you did your due diligence and you realized there was something really unique about this place. I want to make that clear. Your journey, though, overall really is remarkable in the sense that you played for Pat Wood at Wayne High School. You had a great career at linebacker at Ohio State. You were a fifth-round draft pick. You were chasing that NFL dream from team to team, and you were about to sign with the Colts in 2010. You only had to pass a physical, and then somewhere during that time, they identified that you had an enlarged heart valve. What do you remember about that moment and then being told that news? Well, I think I was at a crossroads where I was like, man, you know, am I ready to move on to the next chapter of my life? I've been on three teams in one year in the NFL, and I'm, I understand the reality of it. But I was told, hey, man, you know, you got a chance to go continue to play. The Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts want to sign you. And I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity because you obviously don't know how long you'll get that opportunity. But then it was almost like my future was answered for me then. And that, you know, the enlarged heart valve was found and, and I had to make a decision. I had no other option just to, to make the next step in my life. And, and it was to get into coaching. And um, I don't think I knew what I was getting into. You know, when I got into coaching, I think it was all about, man, I want to be on the sidelines. I want to be around the players. It's, it's the game I love. But 
you quickly learn that the the gratification you get out of coaching is is seeing the success of your players. It's it's seeing these young people reach goals that they never knew they could achieve, or or, or maybe they set a goal and you see them achieve it. That's why you do this. It's the young people, and uh, that's why I love this profession I'm in. So, Marcus, help me with this. Like, for instance, maybe the universe was telling you something. It's time to do something new. There was that fork in the road. It's time to coach. But coaches were not necessarily telling you that. Like, as good a player as you were, as great a thinker as you were on the field, even Luke Fickle said, you don't want to be a coach. And then another coach said, this will be the worst decision you ever make. You do not want to do it. Like, what did you make of that feedback at that time? And why do you think they were telling you that? Well, I think... It, it's really a test, right? And when you get into the coaching profession, um, it's a very selfish life. And and you're going to miss a lot of your, your kids. Your wife is going to miss you a lot of the times. And, and you have to make sure this is what you truly want. I think sometimes you can see coaches make a lot of money. You can see coaches on the sideline of a football game and not realize the time they have to spend working it at trying to become the greatest coach they can. And so you want to make sure that young people that get into this profession understand the demands on you, understand the demands on your family. And if they, if you can't talk them out of it, it usually means they were meant to be. All right. So that makes sense. Then what about Jim Tressel? You had a conversation with him. What did he tell you? Um, Coach Tressel, he's, he's the best, you know, and Coach Tressel is going to support whatever I decided. The biggest thing, Coach Tress, the greatest advice he gave me is work where your butt is. And that's what I've, I've always remembered, and that's what I'll do, you know, is where my butt is, I'm going to work as hard as I can and, you know, let the, the future handle itself. Hmm. Talking to Marcus Freeman for one more moment or so, I'm curious, like, when, when you were coming up as a player, who were some of the coaches who did impact you and touch your life the way you've done for others? Because a lot of people talk about what you've meant to them. Well, I think about, you know, you mentioned early my high, my high school defensive coordinator, defensive coordinator Pat Wood was a guy that was tough and, you know, instilled discipline on me. Um, and, and my high school head coach, Jay Minton, um, was a guy that, you know, showed me the rope, showed me what this recruiting stuff was about. But, you know, you think about the two people that probably made the biggest impact on my life was, was my time in college being Jim Tressel, who was the head coach of Ohio State when I played. You know, ultimately what Coach Tress did was, he made you realize everybody's important. He made you love coming to work and he was tough and he was demanding, but he made you understand why you did it and, and that there's a, a bigger picture. And then my college position coach was Luke Fickle. And, and obviously he was the head coach um, at Cincinnati when I was a defense coordinator and coach big taught me many different lessons, but you know, the most importantly is probably the lessons I learned watching him as a husband and watching him as a father, you know, it's not always the things you say, it's, it's the things you, you do. And um, those guys had huge impacts on who I am. But ultimately, the thing I learned is you have to be yourself, right? You have to be who you are or others can see right through you. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be Marcus Brown. I'm going to be the, the young man raised from a, a, a dad that was in the Air Force for 26 years and a mom that flew over here from Korea with my dad. And so um, that's who I am at the core of my heart, and that's who I'm going to be. Awfully good stuff. He was named head coach on Friday. He arrived in January as D coordinator and now gets the opportunity. He is the head football coach now at Notre Dame. He is Marcus Freeman. Marcus, I really appreciate it. Congrats on that great opportunity. You certainly did earn it. Great to have you on the show. I hope we can do it again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's the holidays, and you deserve a gift, obviously. So how about a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every single day all year long? A gift that looks as good as it feels. A gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you are at work. 
What am I talking about? Of course, I'm talking about the gift of an X chair. I love mine. It is by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair that I have ever used. And honestly, it is probably the coolest looking piece of furniture that I own. In fact, it is. Not only is X chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMAX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and it can either cool or warm your back. Let me ask you this. Can your office chair do that? Doubt it. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. Buy early, buy now. And here's X chair's holiday gift for you. Save $100 off your X chair just by purchasing it at xchairrome.com right now. That is the letter X chairrome.com. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com and save. That's xchairrome.com. Now we are going to have a conversation with a guy with a big head. Believe it or not, we have an emergency edition of big head bets. Now, I say that because you clones are constantly hammering away and asking, hey, Rome, if there are games every single night, then why does the big head only show his enormous cranium around here on Fridays? And the answer, Mr. Big Head, Mr. Big Head, Mr. Big Head, Mr. Big Head loves him some 15 minute work weeks. That's why Mr. Big Head only shows up on Fridays. But I made it very clear to him that that ain't going to fly. That's not going to work. I need more from you, Mr. Big Head. And given that we have an epic battle and one of the games of the year tonight in Buffalo, and we're coming off such an enormous weekend, I informed Mr. Big Head that he needed to get his big ass up in here today for an emergency edition of Big Head Bets. So here we are. Here the bleep we are. Mr. Big Head. How you feeling, man? Especially after an enormous bounce back weekend. I'm feeling okay, Jim. I mean, I love my gambling and going four and one and bouncing back, hitting 80% of my games. But with Ike dying, it's a little bittersweet. I'll miss that veteran. Rest in peace, Ike. I love you. <laughs> All right, dude. He's not dead. I, not I don't dead. know exactly what's going on. I did just receive an email from him. Oh, you did? So unless he's emailing from the ground, he is still with us. <laughs> Come to work, Ike. Yep. Yeah, so we'll find out. Mr. Big Head, I love the way you just kind of slightly got in there. Yeah, I enjoyed my bounce back weekend. The fact that I got 80% right. How about the one you got wrong? What happened? Um, the Raiders blew it three different times. I could have covered that spread. We would have been at a perfect 100%, but the Raiders went Raider and uh, Derek Carr, two-point conversion, a pick six, a couple different things, a missed touchdown pass, but 80%, Jim, that's good. I was going to say bitter much. 80% is incredible. <laughs> 80% is awesome. All right, so because we have an emergency edition of Big Head Bets, why don't we get to our emergency edition of Big Head Bets? Let's do, do this. Pats at the Bills head. Under the lights, you know Bill's Mafia has been fueling up all morning long for it. Hell, they probably started yesterday and never stopped. Major grudge match, serious divisional and conference implications. And I have to admit, I have gone back and forth on this one all weekend long. Mm -hmm. I think they're that evenly matched. I like them both that much. I think it's going to be a tough game time call. 
What has the line done in the last 24 hours or so? Where is it now? Who do you like? The whole thing, Big Head. What's up? It's moving up and down from three to two and a half, and I'll take minus two and a half for the Buffalo Bills. I'm going mafia here, Jim. Look, the Patriots look great, and Mac Jones sure as hell looks like their franchise guy, but I'm going against the rookie on the road tonight. He is 5-0 and away from New England, but he has also thrown three touchdowns to three interceptions in those games, and that was against four of the five worst-scoring defenses in the NFL, the Jets, Falcons, Chargers, and Texans. Add the mafia factor in tonight's weather as well. It will be cold, maybe rain or snow with wind gusts up to 50 miles per hour possibly. It'll be interesting to see how the guy who played at Florida and grew up in Florida handles that. The Bills need to focus on the run game of the Pats and Mac, uh, make Mac beat them. Also, I like Josh Allen as the season goes on. Last year, after having an average November like this year, he threw 12 touchdowns. To, 12 intercept, or to one interception in December, and was it even better in January, Jim? I think he makes enough plays tonight to beat Hood and that face licker of a defensive coordinator he has. Bills minus two and a half. Oh, he's not chalky, big head after. Yeah, he is. All right. So, hey, listen, I like it. Everybody is loving the Pats. They're loving the value. They're loving getting points. Yeah. And I understand why the mob is going that way. Mm -hmm. Head? You know I don't always side with you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play at the uh, – I'm going to agree with you. Nice. I don't think that Buffalo has played that poorly this season, but I keep waiting for the real Bills. The real Bills mm -hmm. to show up and show us they're the team the most thought that they would be. I feel like we have not seen that this year, at least not consistently. I think this is the night that that team shows up and they handle the Pats and they cover. I, too, will go – Bills minus two and a half. Hell yes. All right, a few more things before I cut you loose. You and I are on the same page. Before I cut you loose, I'm curious if you're looking to possibly get down on who might win the AFC East. Update me on that. Who is the favorite right now, and what kind of odds are we looking at for that play, the future play on who wins that division? So right now you have the Bills as the favorite to win the division at minus 140. How about New that? England. Let me stop you right there. That's okay. interesting, right? Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, if they win the night, obviously you're setting pretty good, but the second choice is New England, and that's plus 115. If, if New England wins tonight, you're looking really, really good. Now, the two teams that don't really matter, let me put them out there first, is Miami plus 12,000, and the Jets are plus 100,000. You should win. hit that, dude. I know, right? They'd have to. Uh, put a, th put a thousand on that, dude. I, hey, man, I'd be a rich man. I'd, I'd show up once plus, a week. Did you say plus 100,000? Plus 100,000 to win the AFC East. What is 100,000 times 100,000? You should do it. <laughs> a lot of money, man. <laughs> All right. So, why, why is that even on the board? What, what, what's the point of that? Oh, yeah, plus. We're plus one trillion to I, win I the division. Because the, there's always somebody to throw a little bit of extra money and they'll take it and they'll never hit, right? They got to win all their games. The Patriots would have to lose all their games. Well, I like I'd that act, bet. Yeah, I would too. But, all right. Um, Finish right the here, thought. though, I'd take the Patriots here. They have an easier schedule than Buffalo, and the Bills actually have to play against Tampa and then in New England at New England. Dude, you're so talking on both sides of your mouth. So you're taking Buffalo tonight, but you're mm -hmm. taking the Patriots to win the division. Correct. All right. Because, they, uh, because New England's played one more game already than the Bills, and then they have an easier Correct. schedule from here on out, and then Buffalo has to go to New England too.
Okay, so what this is, this is an emergency edition of Big Head Bets. I'm getting him to work more than 15 minutes a week. All right, so you got two plays right there. You've got tonight's game. You've got the bigger picture on the division, the AFC East. Elsewhere, let me jump around a little bit. The college football playoff is set. Bama v. Cincinnati, Georgia v. Michigan. How have the lines for those two games moved so far? Where are they right now? So Alabama opened as a 13-point favorite over mm. Cincinnati. It's moved to 13-and-a-half, so it's still under that 14, which is huge, right? Two touchdowns there. The Georgia game, the three-seed Georgia, opened as a 7-and-a-half-point favorite over Michigan, and that, for the most part, hasn't moved at all. So the Bulldogs minus 7-and-a-half. So no surprise, odds makers love the SEC. All right, so what do you do with that? Like, there's so much time between now and then, so many things that can happen between now and then. Do you ever try and lock something in early if you love the number, or are you going to wait? Both, right? So if I always in these games, I hit one probably right away when I see the number. Like, it would be Alabama. I did not do that this year, but last year I, I had on one of the games. And then I'll wait for the – because it's always an overreaction, and usually there's big movement on one of them because they're way off. But then if I don't hit them that day of – I'll wait right up to kick off, and then I'll take both of them, obviously, bet on both of them. I don't know. It seems to me like if you love Bama, if you love, love Bama, that 13.5 number is interesting because, to your point, it's not 14 yet. You get that half point. It's no, something yeah. to think about. And especially it's going that way, too, which I kind of thought it would be. I thought it would be 14 right away or 14.5, so that 13, I should have probably hit that. Maverick. But I got a lot riding on the whole thing. So. Yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. okay. I yeah. see you, Mav. All right, so to that point, if you thought Bama and Georgia were the two best teams in the nation and you hit them both back in September, is that yeah. what I'm hearing? That's is that what you're man. saying? Yeah. What were the lines back then, and what are they now if you want to jump in? So before the season To win it all, I mean. Uh, to win it all, yeah, to win the national championship. Before the season kicked off, on the show, I took Alabama at plus 260 as my hedge, and Georgia was my, you know, s small shot at plus 700. Right now, Alabama is plus 120, and Georgia is plus 140 to win it all. Wow. For numbers' sake, Michigan, if you like Michigan, that's plus 600 to win it all, and Cincy is getting no respect, plus 1,600 to win it all. Do you so. know it's there's something to be said for that. For instance, in my account, if I had an account, I've got some things that I play in the future too. And I got to be honest, I'm, I'm really weird about this. I don't know why this bothers me like it does or it would bother me if it did. Mm -hmm. But you have this money that you park and it's just there. And I'm constantly looking at it and I want access to it. But to your point, if you're smart and you're patient, look at the difference in what the payout could be if you're willing to park that money early in the year, right? Does that bother you at all ever or or does it give you something to enjoy and look forward to all year long it gives me something to enjoy all year long on all the sports it's fun to track each team as the season goes but also with college football dude it's always Alabama and another SEC team Ohio State or Clemson right so it's your best uh, futures bet of any sport like college football you could almost always <laughs> get the hedge and then maybe take a shot because plus 700 on Georgia that's that's a nice payout too so I'm sitting nice here on both of them. But no, I like that. Easy. I like that. That makes sense. All right, so we're continuing with the head. It's an emergency edition of Big Head Bets. Bryce Young played about as well as any Bama quarterback has ever played. And that, that's not even an overreaction or a hot take factory kind of statement. He was that good in wrecking Georgia this weekend. Is there any way that he doesn't win the Heisman Trophy? In other words, what's more likely, him winning the Heisman or the Jets not winning the East? <laughs> 
Well, well like, what are the numbers? The Give me the numbers on both. So the Jets are uh, 100,000 um, to win the East, and Bryce Young is around minus 3,500. In other words, about the same. The yeah, about the same and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, you could probably get the same odds on him not being the 2021 NFL draft number one pick when he's eligible to actually be it because he's going to be that. He's great. He's going to win this Heisman Trophy as well. He, he's incredible. Here's my advice to you clones. Bet against him to win that. And then parlay that into the Jets winning the AFC East. <laughs> Just kidding, dopes. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right, so I appreciate the emergency edition. I want to reiterate that you are taking the Bills, minus two and a half. Anything else you want to hit on the way out the door of this emergency edition of Big Head Bets? Yeah, so if Ritt didn't die, maybe he's pouting about what you said earlier, the Panthers firing their OC Joe Brady. Um, that is BS. It's a joke. It's a joke of a team. <laughs> Ass quarterback play ass protection dudes who can't catch the ball and their best player has missed half the season but yeah let's fire the oc it is garbage how they got rid of joe brady i'm not saying he's garbage. the answer but he's a scapegoat here horrible Jim. i want to ask you something dude that that sounds almost personal are you just doing that and pretending to be up that that upset because you like cracking on the old man writ is that really more about writ than it is joe brady no, I always tie Ritt into stuff like that. But, dude, situations matter, and you got to give these this guys chances cool. to do something, and Joe Brady had none. Now, Joe Burrow could have made this guy at LSU, but you got to give him a legitimate chance to do it and not the son, grandson of Dick Thanks, Hammer throw out there, Sam Darnold, and Cam Newton. Yeah. Come so on, give him a man. Chance here. Take it easy, dude. So on the way out the door, let me just say this. He may butcher the English language. He may fade grammar, but if you're going to fade the head, I understand that everybody needs their own strategy, their own system, their own tactics. But if part of your strategy or your system or your tactics is to fade the big head, that's on you. That's cool, but understand the risk involved. Head, way to bounce back, way to not murder the English language, and let's see what happens tonight. It's going to be fun. All right, Jim. Thanks, man. You got it. There it is. The Big Head. The emergency episode of Big Head Bets. Darius Butler is my guest. Darius, what's cracking? Good to have you back. How are you? Hey, good to be back. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right, good, my man. Good. So Good, dude. Good. We got to figure out where to start. So why don't we do it right here? Why don't we start with the Lions getting their first one of the season? More specifically, Darius, what did you make of the Vikings defense and in particular their secondary on that final play? Man, uh, well, first and foremost, Phil, I, I feel great for uh, Dan Campbell and that Lions team. You know, Jared Goff and Campbell, they're, they're embracing just their celebration after the game. Happy for Lions fans, too. You know, not another winless uh, season. Um, but that was just uh, terrible um, on the Vikings' standpoint. And Detroit, they tried to do everything they could to lose that game, going forward on fourth, their own territory, calling that play, getting strips at. But um, to come down and kind of have it all on the line, you know as a DB – you have to protect that goal line, uh, you know, with everything when you're down there because a touchdown is a touchdown, whether it's on the one-inch uh, goal line or it's on the back line. So you got to cut them off. The safety has to play a little more aggressive. Corners will. you got to make that receiver run you into the end zone um, to just give up that pitch and catch for the game. Uh, just horrible execution. you got to put that on the players, obviously, uh, but it definitely comes down to coaching as well. You, you, can't, you can't have that type of mishap um, at that moment in the game. 
I literally agree with everything you just said, starting with the reaction of Detroit, Jared Goff, Dan Campbell, and Minnesota, man, dropping eight and just waiting for the Lions. Like, I have no idea. Even me watching that, I have no idea what these guys were thinking or doing, but I agree with you. Darius Butler, my guest. All right, Darius, what do you make of John Harbaugh's decision to go for two at the end of the Steelers game? Do you have any issue with that? Uh, no issue at all. Uh, no issue at all. Uh, you know, you you put it in your best player's hands. You know, even though Lamar, you know, hasn't been playing playing great over this last stretch, um, you got to play dialed up for Mark Andrews, who's probably your best offensive player after Lamar. And um, it was just, you know, Andrews kind of slowed up coming out of the break, and then T.J. Watt got that pressure. And the pass was, you know, Andrews, I can see him making that catch probably five out of the ten times. That was just one of the times he couldn't. Uh, just a little overthrown because he slowed down once again. Uh, but I, I don't I don't have a problem with that call at all. You try to win that game. Um, I was shocked that uh, Baltimore even got four and a half in that game, you know, at, on the road, being the Steelers. Obviously, there was a lot going on with the Steelers. Big Ben's retirement news coming out. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin have to answer questions about the culture in that building and having that game at home, that uh, AFC North battle, which it always is. Either way, either, either team getting four and a half, I thought was a mistake by Vegas, but I uh, would take advantage when we get a chance. But it was a great finish to 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 a, one of those defensive battles as we always see. But I'll have no problem at all with that call. Put it in your best player's hands. Hey, Darius, as you know, Vegas does not make very many mistakes. So if you see a mistake, <laughs> you have to jump on that. You know how hard this thing is. You know how hard that oh, game yeah. is. So where does that leave the Ravens? Like, they start off 5-1. and one. They're 3-3 three and three in their last six. The offense has not put up more than 19 points in the last four games. So bottom line, what do you think when you watch Lamar and the Ravens right now? I mean, they're struggling. Uh, they are, but like you said, three and three in their last six. So even with struggling, you know, Lamar missed the games. Lamar kind of hasn't been the same since he came back from missing the game. But uh, you, you still look you look around the AFC, and everyone's right now um, for the game tonight. You know, everyone's eight and four right now. You got the Chiefs, the Patriots, uh, Ravens. Uh, everyone's eight and four up there. So you, you still have a chance to get things together and start playing better ball in December. But right now, it looks like the game plan for Lamar is uh, put a bunch of pressure on him and force his pass catchers to, to get open and force Lamar to make uh, accurate throws under pressure. And, um, you know, that that's going to be the recipe going forward in December and into the playoffs as well. So I got to bet on Lamar to adjust, uh, just like everyone was writing Mahomes off. And Mahomes still doesn't look like, uh, you know, himself or the Mahomes that we're used to. But uh, I think uh, Lamar will start playing better down the stretch. He needs some of these pass catchers, especially on the outside, to continue to develop and get a true number one out there outside of uh, Andrews. Uh, but it, it, it all comes back to eight for the Ravens. Uh, he has to play better. He came out of blocks having an MVP-type year. So um, I got to bet that uh, he, he'll figure it out down the stretch and at least be competitive because that AFC is wide open. The only quarterback, really, that I can truly say I trust on the AFC side right now when it comes to this, this last stretch is Patrick Mahomes. Even though uh, he hasn't been great this year, um, he, I've seen him do it in his career at this time of season, time and time again. So uh, outside of Patrick Mahomes, you know, Mac Jones, Josh Allen, Lamar, you know, Tannehill, it's still a lot of question marks for those quarterbacks. AFC wide ass open right now. We'll talk about that Monday night matchup in a minute. Darius Butler, my guest. Darius, finish that thought. I mean, you got into it, but it was not that long ago that folks were trying to claim that the league had figured out Patrick Mahomes. What did you make of that argument then, and how does he seem to you right now? Uh, he still... He still doesn't seem like the Patrick Mahomes we saw, you know, his first two years out of the gate. But it, it's other things around that team that has to be figured out. And the good, the great thing about that is, even when he wasn't playing great and leading the league in interception, all 
they were still finding ways to get ugly wins. You know, ugly win over the Giants, ugly win over the Cowboys. They got a win last night where they didn't, he didn't throw a touchdown. So they're still stacking those wins. And once again, he's a guy, he's a player, he's a quarterback, a transcendent talent who I would have to bet on figuring it out and starting to play well at some point. But while he's not playing great, his defense for the last five weeks has been playing excellent. You know, people are making plays. Sorensen, he's been getting beat up and drugged through the mud by anybody who covers anything through the NFL. Him getting a pick six last night. Chris Jones dominated from the inside of that defense. So I love to see that for them on the defensive side of the ball because, you know, with Patrick Mahomes, with Kelsey, with Hill, Eric Bianney, Andy Reid, you got to think that at some point this offense will start clicking. And, uh, they, I mean, they're, they're going to be a scary team to face uh, come January, in my opinion. Darius Butler is joining us. All right, when you want to talk about scary teams, let me ask you about Arizona. Like, Kyler Murray comes back from injury, passes for a couple of TDs, rushes for two more. What do you make of the Cardinals team? Like, when he's healthy, might they be the team to beat overall? You know, they they have been the best team since week one. They came out of the gates week one, you know, full speed ahead, you know, put a, put a, put a whooping on the Titans. And they, they really haven't slowed down. I had a couple hiccups here and there. But um, they play well against good teams. They play well with their uh, franchise quarterback out and the best franchise wide receiver out as well. So now you get him back in. And you kind of, you know, it looked kind of, he didn't put up gaudy numbers, but it looked kind of easy for him almost. They're just a well-coached, uh, physical football team. So Steve Kahn, he, he did a great job putting that team together, bringing the right guys in. Uh, even with missing a guy like J.J. Watt, uh, missing Kyle, and missing key people in roles, you know, they're playing physical both sides of the line of scrimmage. Defense has playmakers all over offense as well. So uh, the only pause that gives me, you know, before saying, hey, Arizona is the team to beat, they have been the best this year wire to wire. But at this point in the season, this is when things get tougher. And you got Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay over there. You got Tampa Bay and the Bucks. So those two teams will still be the teams I still have the most faith in going forward. But right after that, it's the Cardinals and everybody else on the NFC side. I think right now, realistically, is on the outside looking in for a real shot um, to represent NFC in the Super Bowl. We're talking to Darius Butler. All right, let me ask you about something you tweeted during the Cowboys-Saints game. Quote, Taysom stinks at quarterback. Great athlete and weapon to have on your offense, but he's not a starting NFL quarterback, simple and plain. And to quote, like, bottom line, Darius, do you think that Sean Payton knows that and he's just trying to get through the season, or do you think that he believes that he'll really can be a starting NFL quarterback? I mean, at this point in the season, you gotta, you got to squeeze all the juice you can out of him. you got to figure it out. You're paying him, you know, good money uh, regardless if he's going to be your starting quarterback or not. Obviously, much more money if he is going to be your starting quarterback, but you know, after Jameis went down, Simeon got in there, and I think they had a four-game losing streak. And with that defense, I'm sure Sean Payton is looking at that defense and like, man, like we 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 got to put something out here that can give us a chance to win a game because the defense, I mean, it's it's, it's damn near championship-level defense how those guys fly around. And you don't really see all of it because they don't have an offense that you know sustaining drives and putting points on the board. So it's tough. So at least. Another uh, element that you add to the offense with Taysom Hill is his running ability. And as a defense, you have to prepare for that, and that's tough to stop. But, you know, just being able to drop back and, and consistently hit passes, consistently hit receivers on target, target, you know, being able to drive down in two minutes, being able to pass the ball and get down a couple scores, those are things that you're going to need at some point, especially at this point in the season. That's still, you know, technically in the hunt. But I think Sean Payton right now, he had to switch it up from Simeon. He couldn't get a win there. 
So it's like, hey, you know, right now we just got to see what we get out of out of Hill, and then uh, we go from there in this off season. But they got to make a splash in the off season at their quarterback position. Maybe we even see uh Mr. Unlimited work his way out there. That would be uh, great for the NFL, I think. But uh, right now, I think Sean Payton's trying to figure it out just like the rest of us are. Yeah, that would be something. And Darius, you got a monster, monster game tonight in Buffalo. You can get the Pats and you can get points. And I know that's really attractive to a lot of people. How do you see this game going? You know, I, I just had to go simple. This is my best week picking against the spread in a while, and I went back to the basics. In the last few weeks, couple weeks, I mean, I've seen A-Rod get points at home in Lambeau. I've seen the college game. I saw Saban get a touchdown in the SEC championship. So I'm going with Belichick getting points on the road. It should be an ugly weather game. New England, they love to line up in that two-back and just run it down your throat and be physical and then put Mac Jones in, in good situations. The last AFC team that I saw do that in Buffalo was my Colts, and they ran the ball down their throat with Jonathan Taylor. So I think they'll try to do the same. A Patriots defense is playing excellent as well. So I'm going to go with the Patriots on the road with the points. It's a day after they've gotten the one seed in the AFC, and I can't see Belichick giving that up to Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. So I'm going with Patriots with the points on the road. It's a persuasive argument that you make. Darius, go back. Like I'm trying to explain to our listeners, because we're doing more and more of this ourselves, about the gambling life, man, and how tough this is. Have the last few weeks been pretty rough? Oh, man, yeah. This whole season's kind of been been wacky. But uh, this, uh, for me at least, this is usually when I start to get a little better. You know, teams kind of separate themselves. Vegas kind of can make a couple mistakes here and there. Um, and as a player, I, I kind of get a little more of an edge at this point because you can kind of look at their locker room, look at the situations, and, okay, these guys are, are banged up, and certain guys are, okay, they may be making plans for the offseason already. Certain guys may be opting for surgery and free agent. You just got to kind of you get a little edge there, but uh, it, it, it's tough. It's still stressful. Uh, if you don't gamble, just you know, stay away from it and just enjoy the game as it is. But it'll be it'll be a fun one to watch tonight. I hate that the weather is going to be uh, so stinky with these quarterbacks, but um, it'll be. I expect a defensive battle, but uh, the Patriots squeaking out with a good victory. Darius, it's so funny that you just said it's stressful. Like you played the oh, game yeah. for a long, long time, and I I don't understand this. Like the whole mentality, it's so fun, dude. You know how this is. It is so fun, but it's so stressful. Why is it so stressful? Like, I got into this with Dana White. Dana White told me really quickly, Darius, that he, I mean, you know, he kills it in blackjack. Like, he's a, he's a monster in blackjack, but he hates sports gambling. And I said, why? Is it because it's stressful or you hate losing? And he said, yes, yes. Like, what's so stressful about it for you? Uh, you know, it, honestly, sometimes it's just, you know, I want to just watch the game, but then when you got something on it, you pick the team, I kind of want that out. You're rooting for, you see yourself slanting that way, you just can't enjoy it. So I do like to uh, lean in more to the player props. That kind of helps you enjoy just the game a little more. But it's just stressful, man. You're watching games, and especially when you got to bet on a bad team to cover or something, you're just watching, you know, the Jaguars or the Falcons just be the Jaguars or the Falcons. That just stresses you out as a fan, even if you don't. And then you think, like, damn, what is it like being a, a Lions fan for 20 years? Like, it must really, really – or a Vikings fan, for that matter. So uh, it's stressful. But being a sports fan is stressful uh, by itself. And uh, But at the same time, it's fun. Uh, and, it, and it does give the game a little more exciting, especially when it's people who aren't 
you know, as as locked in on football, and that it gives them something else to be uh, locked in on. So it's fun and stressful at the same time. Dude, listen, I'm not I'm not watching a Jaguar game unless I have action on a Jaguar game, or if they didn't pay me to do it because it's my job. <laughs> there, there, there's exactly. something to be said about that. I mean, I don't know. Like really quickly, is it? Is it the stress of losing the money, or is it just the stress of being wrong? Because guys like you and me got to put ourselves out there. Yeah, you know, I would say more so being wrong right. in the money. or, right. or just, And then, you know, you, you kind of get that respect, and you go back to the locker room, and you know, like, as a player, I, ne- I never knew the spread of a game. I never, I didn't huh. care about that. All I cared about was my matchup, the quarterback game situation, things like that, and trying to do whatever I could uh, to win that game. And then as a fan, as a gambler, as whatever, you know, damn, any given Sunday, any given Thursday, any given Monday, you know, any team can go out there and win. So it just adds a, another uh, element to it. And then obviously anytime money's involved, that's going to, you know, raise the stakes. But uh, it, it's been fun. It makes, I'll tell you what, it makes you stress a lot more about these damn referees and oh, these uh, dude, no rough passers and stuff like that. <laughs> Let's go to the phones really quickly. Brian? Brian in Louisiana? Huh? Brian, how are you? Jimbo, was that you again? Brian, who Brian, who is this? It, it is Brian Kelly, and I do appreciate you taking my call. I do. I did you hear just everything that you just said again. And I want to remind your viewers, I know you meant it as an insult, but I want to remind them of who else came in riding in on a donkey one day, and that is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hey, Brian, let me ask you something really quickly. What college did you attend? Well, that is um, that is not up for uh, discussion right now, Jim. It was- That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. The fake Brian Kelly trying to pass himself off as the real Brian Kelly, saying that that is not up for discussion. Actually, Brian, it is because I asked. Therefore, it is up for assumption or discussion. You went to Assumption. That's the school you went to. Just as I assumed that that was some moron pretending to be Brian Kelly with some fake accent. And I was right. Good night now!